Well, good morning again. Uh, just in case you're not sure who I am, my name is Rich, and I get to share with you every once in a while. I'm thankful, always thankful for the opportunity to uh, serve you in this way just by being able to share uh, with you. So thanks for the opportunity to uh, serve you this morning. Now, we're going to just start out with a little bit of a, uh, a little bit of a game. It's not really a game, but kind of a word association game. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to uh, just say some different names, some different, uh, say a different word uh, from up here. And then what I want you to do is just think about what is the very first word that comes to your mind after I say the word. And so then we'll just kind of share. I want to hear from you what you think and everything like that. So I will say a word, and then I want you to share uh, the very first word that comes to your mind when you hear it. Okay, so what is the first word that comes to your mind when you hear the word Starbucks? Coffee. Okay, coffee. That makes sense. Coffee right there. Uh, What is the very first word that comes to your mind when you hear the word post office? Mail. Okay, anything else? Stamps, okay, that makes sense, good, good. Money, (laughs) there you go, all right. Um, Okay, how about this, how about uh, the BMV? Lines, waiting, (laughs) okay, lines and waiting. Sorry for those of you that work at the BMV, but it is true. Uh, Anyway, okay, Uh, how about uh, Walmart? Lines at Walmart, what about... Big selection, okay. Boring, somebody said boring. <laughs> Low prices every day, so Walmart, okay. All right, and then uh, how about this? How about Jezebel? Harlot? Evil woman? What was that? Dog? Dog, dog, dog. okay. <laughs> All right. She was a dog, that's for sure. Okay, yeah, well, there you go. Um, Jezebel, so uh, what we're going to, kind of what I wanted to do is I wanted us to kind of find out what are the first things that come to your mind when you hear those words, because who we're going to talk about this morning is Jezebel. You guys were pretty mild, like first service, uh, somebody said hussy in first service. I'm like, whoa, somebody had a bad day. Second service, somebody said whore. I was like, whoa, okay, so now we're getting getting into what we really think about, about Jezebel. And so Jezebel is a name that, you know, just when we hear it, her name is synonymous with, with evil. Her name is synonymous with wickedness. We, you know, we just do not think necessarily good things when we hear the name Jezebel. That's most likely why you will never go to a baby shower for a little girl named Jezebel. You know, it's just probably not going to happen. There's just not good things associated with that name. You know, you're not going to go to a baby shower and be like, hey, congratulations, what's your little girl's name? Jezebel, that's awesome. Oh, great. You know, way to set your girl up for success there. You know, like that, you know. I'm sure she'll get along great with her brother Hitler, you know. So, uh, you know, just, it's just not a name, you know, that is really associated with good things. You know, uh, Jezebel actually ranks as the most evil woman talked about in the Bible. She is, you know, by far the most evil woman that's ever talked about in the Bible. Her reputation in the Bible is actually so bad that thousands of years after her death, in the book of Revelation, the Bible actually refers to her, refers to people uh, by her name, people that, um, people that are only concerned about themselves, people that are, are living only for their desires. The Bible calls them Jezebels, you know. And so her reputation, even in the Bible, is a wicked uh, reputation. And so uh, history has not been kind to Jezebel, and uh, for good reason it has not been kind. Her story is found in the Old Testament book of 1 Kings. We're going to take a look at it a little bit this morning. If you need a Bible, you can go ahead and put up your hand. If you're here in the main, over in the link, uh, an usher will be around to give you a Bible. And we're going to go ahead and look at uh, the book of 1 Kings. The book of 1 Kings is really easy to find in the Bible. It's right before the book of 2 Kings. And so all you need to do is do that. Anyway, no. Uh, it's uh, in the Old Testament book. Uh, just look for Genesis. That's the first book of the Bible. So there's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, and then you'll find the book of First Kings. So that's where we're going to spend uh, most of our time at, at, at this morning. Her story is, is found there, and uh, what we're going to do is we're going to find out a little bit, uh, get an idea of how bad Jezebel really was uh, just by briefly looking at the rulers that came before 
Queen Jezebel because the rulers that came before Queen Jezebel were no angels themselves. These were really bad people. So I'm just going to read uh, to you the four rulers that came before Jezebel. We'll find out a little bit about them. Uh, first, we find out uh, about a guy named Nadab. Nadab is mentioned in, in the book of First Kings, and he ruled for two years. And the book of First Kings says that he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. So he ruled for two years. During those two years, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. The next guy is a guy by the name of Basha. He ruled as king in the nation of Israel for 24 years. And the Bible says in the book of 1 Kings that he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So for 24 years, he ruled uh, and he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. After him, after Basha, came a guy by the name of Zimri. Zimri was, was king. He ruled for one year. And the book of 1 Kings says he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Then after Zimri, we come to a guy named Omri. Omri was the king, and he ruled for 12 years. And the book of 1 Kings says he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So we're noticing a pattern here. We have four different rulers, 39 years between those four rulers. Four different rulers, 39 years between them, and they all did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So we have 39 years of evil being done in the eyes of God. Then we come to the book of First, uh, to, uh, First Kings chapter 16, verse 29. That's where you can look. First Kings chapter 16, verse 29. And this is kind of where we're introduced a little bit to Jezebel. And, uh, but before we even read about Jezebel, we're going to read about um, a guy by the name of Ahab. We'll find him in verse 29. First Kings chapter 16, verse 29 says, In the 38th year of, of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel, and he reigned in Samaria over Israel 22 years. Ahab, son of Omri, did how much evil? More evil. He did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those who came before him. Now that is saying a lot. That's saying a lot. Because remember, we had four different rulers, 39 years between those four different rulers. And all of them, every single one did evil in the eyes of God. But what Ahab did trumped them all. Ahab trumped them all. The book of 1 Kings tells us that no one did more to provoke the Lord to anger than Ahab. He was, a, he was a murderer. He was an idol worshiper. He was sexually perverse. He actually had his oldest and his youngest sons killed so he could accomplish something that he wanted to accomplish. And on top of all that, he liked cats. It was just a really, really bad guy. You know, just really, really, sorry to you cat lovers, I'm just joking. Anyway, he, uh, he was just a wicked man. He was a bad man. And he did more evil in the eyes of God than any of those who came before him. And then we look at verse 31. Verse 31 says this. He not only considered it trivial to commit these, the, the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married who? Jezebel. He also married Jezebel, daughter of Ithbel, king of the Sidonians, and he began to serve Baal and to worship him. So basically what we're seeing in verse 31 is, is the writer of the book of 1 Kings is, is saying this. He's saying, as if it wasn't bad enough, as if it wasn't bad enough for Ahab to commit all of these sins, as if it wasn't bad enough for Ahab to do all of this wicked, all of this awful stuff, as if all of that wasn't bad enough, he also married Jezebel. Jezebel. He, can you believe? It's almost like the writer is saying, can you believe this guy? Can you believe how bad he was that he did this and he did this, but lumped in, lumped in with murder, lumped in with idolatry, lumped in with killing his own kids was the fact that he married a woman known as Jezebel. Jezebel was a wicked woman. And a little bit about, a little bit about Jezebel, Ahab actually began to worship idols after marrying her. 
And so Jezebel was the one who introduced Ahab to idol worship, and she was the one that got him to begin worshiping idols. She got him involved in that. She also wanted to rid the nation of Israel of any godly influence. She wanted to get rid of any godly influence in the nation of Israel. So what she began to do is systematically kill the prophets of God. So she began to kill off any prophet of the living God to try to rid the nation of any godly influence because she just wanted her idols to be the only kind of religion uh, to, you know, in, in the country of Israel. And so she funded all of the idol worship in Israel. First Kings chapter 18 basically tells us that she kept on the payroll 850 priests of her two main idols. And so her two main idols were uh, an idol by the name of Baal and an idol by the name of Asherah. And worshiping Baal and Asherah meant that you would uh, sacrifice humans. It meant that you would sacrifice your kids. It also meant that you would have sex with temple prostitutes. So we're talking, we're not talking about good stuff here. We're talking about she is promoting a religion that is, that is destructive and that's hurtful and, and, and just something that is just, it's just not good at all. But she is the force behind all of this happening. And then let's just flip over a couple pages to 1 Kings chapter 21. 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 25. 1 Kings chapter 21 verse 25. This is what uh, 1 Kings says about Jezebel. 1 Kings 21, verse 25. It says, There was never anyone like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, urged on by Jezebel, his wife. There was never anyone like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, urged on by Jezebel, his wife. Another version uh, of, that, of that same verse says it this way. It says, No one else so completely sold himself to what was evil in the Lord's sight as Ahab did under the influence of his wife Jezebel. Under the influence of his wife Jezebel. That was the verse that I could not get out of my head this week. That was, was, was the verse that literally changed the direction of where I thought uh, our, our time together was going to go, was going to go this morning. Uh, this was the verse that, that just really just stuck in my head and jumped out of me. And in particular, that phrase, under the influence of his wife, Jezebel. Because influence is a powerful thing. Influence is a powerful thing, and influence will always leave a mark. No one else so completely sold himself to what was evil in the Lord's sight as Ahab did under the influence of his wife Jezebel. Her influence left a mark. I don't know if you've ever been under the influence of something. Um, I know oftentimes when we think about that phrase, under the influence, you know, we're thinking about, you're thinking about alcohol, we're thinking about drugs, all that kind of stuff. That's typically what we think of when we think of being under the influence of something. I, I never uh, did drugs. I don't drink. I, so I don't really understand what it's like to be under the influence of something like that. But I do understand what it's like to be under the influence of a person. I understand that a whole lot, and I understand what it means to be under the influence of a person. The first time that this really kind of happened for me was, um, I was probably like 22 uh, years old or something like that, and I met a girl. Um, And so I became under the influence of this girl. I was about 22 years old, and and I won't say her name or anything like that, because I mean, it's just crazy, like with the internet now and all that kind of stuff. Like, you just never know if, if somebody's going to be watching, you know. So she might somehow find this online or something like that, hear me talking about her. So I don't want to say her name, but her name rhymes with Athy, so we'll just leave it at that, you know. So so I won't say her name, but it rhymes with Athy. So here we are. Here I am, 22, 22 years old, and I meet this girl, and I completely fall under her influence. I mean, I just really, really like this girl. Really, I mean, she called it stalking. I called it liking. It was a fine line, but, but I just really, just really, really liked this girl a whole lot. And so I just became totally infatuated uh, with her. Now, I was, I was a Christian. I was a follower of Jesus at that time. She was not. That was, that was one thing that I, deep down inside, I knew was not right. 
Um, I, I, I knew that I wanted her to become a Christian. I knew I wanted her to follow Jesus. But, but dating somebody isn't the best way to, to make that happen. And so deep down inside, I knew that, that it was not a good thing for me to be dating her. But she had me completely wrapped around her finger. Her influence on me uh, caused me not to think straight. It caused me to have poor judgment. Her influence on me caused me to ignore the advice of my friends. And my friends, my closest friends were all coming to me, and they were like, dude, what are you doing? This is not the girl for you. This is not who you should be with. You should not be, be going out with her or dating her. But her influence on me was so strong that I completely ignored the voice of my most trusted friends, the people that were telling me what, you know, what, what was best for me and everything like that. And so I was completely under her influence, and it caused me not to think straight. It caused me to ignore my friends. What's really interesting about that is there's a verse in the book of Proverbs that says, above all else, guard your heart because it directs the course of your life. Above everything else, guard your heart because it directs the course of your life. I was not guarding my heart at that time. And my life was being directed in a negative way. I was doing things and, and stuff that I, that I just knew were not right. It was directing the course of my life in a negative way. Her influence was having a negative impact on me. Anyway, we come to uh, Valentine's Day. It's Valentine's Day. And, and um, I wanted to get Kathy like these. Um, I wanted to make it a special Valentine's Day for her. And so what I did is, I, you know, I got her some flowers, and I had the flowers delivered to her house. And then this was before, you know, this was before the Internet and all that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm that old. That, you know, no Internet at the time. And so, so I had to, like, make phone calls to find this special perfume for her. She really liked this perfume. Couldn't find it anywhere in our town. So I was calling all these places. Do you have this? Do you have that? Yep, found finally found this perfume, had it delivered to her house and everything like that. So I'm going through a lot of effort to try to make this a, a nice Valentine's Day for her. And so she, she calls me up on Valentine's Day, and she's like, hey. And I'm like, hey. And she's like, thanks for the flowers. They're beautiful. And I'm like, oh, that's awesome. I'm so glad you like them. You know, I just wanted to, to get those for you. I was just thinking of you when I saw them. Oh, that's, that's really sweet. Thanks for the perfume, too. You found it. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. It took a lot of work. I was going everywhere, trying to call on everybody, trying to find it. Do you like it? Yeah, it's great. It smells great. And then She's like, oh, by the way, I don't think we should date anymore. And I'm like, what on Valentine's Day? Seriously, you take my gifts and then you dump me on Valentine's Day? You know, like that has left a mark on me. You know, that has marked my life. Now, honestly, like it's, it's really cool now because I'm, I'm over it. I've totally forgiven her. I've gotten past it. You know, I just hope she's fat and ugly and miserable now. But it's, you know, but I've totally forgiven her. You know, she is completely uh, forgiven. But, but that, her influence left a mark on me. You know, it, it, it did. Even to the point now that if I hear the name Kathy, like it, even, even just hearing the name, it just kind of does a, ugh, you know, just, just one of those kind of things. You know, and I apologize for those of you that are named Kathy. I'm sure you're wonderful. I'm sure we can be friends. It's just going to take a minute to get over your name. That's all. Just give me a minute, and then we can be friends. But anyway, like it just, it just her, her influence, what she did, marked my life. Marked my life. It has totally marked my life. And that is what influence does. Influence will always leave a mark. And sometimes that mark is good. Sometimes that mark is bad. Whether it's good or bad depends on how we use the influence that we have. And we know that to be true. Because all of us have been marked by somebody probably maybe even thinking now how maybe this person has marked your life and it's been great and how thankful you are for what they have done. And then there's probably others of us that are thinking how this person has marked my life and it's left a really big scar. That they use their influence in some way to, to hurt me or to harm me or it, it's just marked me for bad. And, and the dictionary, this is, I think this is important for us to understand what influence is. The dictionary defines influence like this. Defines it as the capacity or power of a person or a thing to be a compelling force on the actions, behavior, or opinions of others. It's really important that we understand this. So I'm going to read that again. Influence is the capacity or power of a person 
or a thing to be a, to be a compelling force on the actions, behavior, or opinions of others. It's the capacity or power to be a compelling force on the actions, behaviors, or opinions of others. In other words, influence can affect what you do. Influence can affect what you think. And influence will always leave a mark. And we know this to be true because every single one of us in here has been marked by somebody, either in a good way or in a bad way. And what I think is also really important to realize is all of us have the ability to leave a mark. All of us have the ability, whether you know it or not, whether you believe it or not, you have an ability to leave a mark on another person's life. Every single one of you here in the main, every single one of you that's over in the link, anybody that may be watching online, anybody that may be listening to this on a CD, there are no exceptions. You have this power. You are a person of influence. And every day you have the ability to leave a mark on someone's life. And I I think, again, I think that we forget this. I think that we often feel that only people in positions of power or only people that that are famous or only people who are wealthy or only people who are popular or outgoing, they're the only people that can really have an influence. But that's not true. That is a lie. If you have any type of relationship with anybody else, doesn't matter what type of relationship it is. If you have any type of relationship with a person, you have the ability to have influence. If you are around people at any part of your day, you have the ability to have influence. You have the ability to leave a mark. What type of mark you leave depends on how you use the influence you have. Jezebel's influence left horrible marks on the lives of people. Horrible marks. I mean, her life has marked us. She's been dead for thousands of years, thousands of years, but we have so been marked by her that even when we just hear her name, we think something negative. That her mark on us has has lasted thousands of years because we hear her name and we think something negative. Those words that I mentioned at the beginning, we have been marked by them. We heard those words. We instantly thought of something. They have marked us in some way. They have influenced how we feel about something. They have influenced how we think. And so we have been marked by them. And again, what I want you to know is your life will mark someone else. What type of marks do you want to leave behind? What type of marks you want to leave on the people that you're going to rub shoulders with every single day. Jezebel's life left horrible marks. There's one story that we're going to look at in particular. It's in 1 Kings chapter 21 that just kind of illustrates how Jezebel used her influence selfishly, and that selfish influence just horribly marked the life of of somebody else. So once you turn to 1 Kings chapter 21, I'm just going to go ahead and read the story and just kind of explain to you what's going on. First Kings chapter 21, starting at verse 1. Let's go ahead and read it together. Sometime later, there was an incident involving a vineyard belonging to Naboth, the Jezreelite. The vineyard was in Jezreel, close to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. Ahab said to Naboth, Let me have your vineyard to use for a vegetable garden, since it is close to my palace. In exchange, I will give you a better vineyard, or if you prefer, I will pay you whatever it's worth. And so go figure. Between killing people and lying and worshiping idols, Ahab liked to raise vegetables. I mean, crazy. Who would have thought that about Ahab? Anyway, skip down to verse 3. But Naboth replied, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of of my ancestors. So Naboth says no. And I think it's really important to point out here that he didn't say no because he was being selfish. He didn't say no because he was being greedy. He said no because actually in Old Testament culture, according to Old Testament law, it was actually against Old Testament law to sell inherited land. Unless there was cases of extreme poverty... Old Testament law said you do not sell the land that you inherit. It was supposed to stay in the family. So Naboth wasn't being selfish or anything like that. He was actually just being obedient. So verse 4. So Ahab went home sullen and angry because Naboth the Jezreelite had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my ancestors. He lay on his bed sulking and refused to eat. 
His wife Jezebel came in and asked, Why are you so sullen? Why won't you eat? And he answered her, Because I said to Naboth the Jezreelite, Sell me your vineyard, or if you prefer, I will give you another vineyard in its place. But he said, I will not give you the vineyard. Jezebel's wife said, Is this how you act as king over Israel? Get up and eat. Cheer up. I will get you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. And so Jezebel is about to use her influence as queen. And her influence is about to leave a mark. Let's find out what she does. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name, placed his seal on them, and sent them to the elders and the nobles who lived in Naboth's city with them. With him. In those letters she wrote, Proclaim a day of fasting and seat Naboth in a prominent place among the people. But seat two scoundrels opposite him and have them bring charges that he has cursed both God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. So the elders and the nobles who lived in Naboth city did as Jezebel directed in the letters she had in the letters that she had written to them. They proclaimed a fast and seated Naboth in a prominent place among the people. Then two scoundrels came and sat opposite him and brought charges against Naboth before the people saying Naboth has cursed both God and the king. So they took him outside the city and they stoned him to death. Then they sent word to Jezebel, Naboth has been stoned to death. As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned to death, she said to Ahab, Get up and take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, that he refused to sell to you. He is no longer alive, but dead. When Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, he got up and he went down to take possession of Naboth's vineyard. Now here, we're obviously seeing an extreme example of somebody using their influence. Uh, She used her influence, and this was an extreme example, but let's just look at the root of how she used her influence. Her influence, uh, she was using her position and her influence as queen simply to get what she wanted. She was using her influence as queen to get what she wanted. And because she did that, land was stolen, people were killed, and a family was destroyed, and her influence left a terrible mark because she used it on her. She used it simply to get what she wanted to get. And any time you use your influence simply to get what you want, you will leave a horrible mark on someone's life. I just want you to know that. Any time that you use your influence simply to get what you want, you will leave a horrible mark on someone. Why will that be? Because you're being selfish. And selfishness will always hurt your relationships every single time. Selfishness will always hurt your, your relationships. If you're having relationship problems right now with, with either your husband or with your wife or with your kids or, or with your parents or with a coworker, whoever it is, being selfish is not going to help it get better. Selfishness never helps a relationship get better. Selfishness will always leave a scar will always leave a damaging mark on another person. Demanding my own way will never help a relationship get better. But sometimes there are things that that we want so badly. Sometimes there are things that we want so badly that we're willing to hurt the people that we care about the most in order to get what we want. But and, And a lot of times we excuse it by saying this, but I just want what's best for them. I just want what is best for them. And and that may be true. There may be some truth to that. But most of the time, a lot of the time, while we're pretending to be crusaders for what is right, we're actually crusading for what we want. And and I think it's really important to understand that and to to realize that, that instead of of crusading for, for what is right, we're actually just saying, this is what I want. I want them to do this. I want them to do that. They should be doing this. They should be doing that. And it's... It's selfishness in us that that drives that. Selfishness will always leave a horrible, horrible mark. And you have probably seen this happen in the lives of some people. You have probably seen parents destroy their relationship with their kids because their kids wouldn't do what they wanted them to do. You've probably seen that happen. You've probably seen moms with such high expectations for their daughters that those expectations just destroyed 
their daughters. Just destroyed the self-esteem of those little girls. And they look at their daughter as a reflection of themselves and they use their influence as a mom selfishly to get what they want and it leaves a horrible mark on the girls. We've seen dads criticize their sons so much and shame their sons so much that it just destroys any sense of manhood that that little boy had, that it just destroys it. They look at their sons as a reflection of themselves and they use their influence as a dad selfishly to get what they want and it leaves a horrible mark. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you're the people that have been scarred. Some of you that are in here have been scarred by your parents. Some of you in here have a relationship with your parents that is strained to this day because of how they marked you. Some of you in here have, have, uh, you, have you, you don't even want to see your mom. You don't even want to see your dad because of how they used th- their influence in your life. You have been marked by them. Some of you are, are 25 years old, 35 years old, 45 years old, 55 years old, and even now you feel like nothing you do is ever good enough for them. You're sitting here and, and you're, you're thinking, I can't win. I can't win with my mom. I can't win with my dad. There's nothing that I do that is ever good enough for them. You have been horribly marked by their influence. And the reason for that is anytime a person uses influence simply to get what they want, that is always going to leave a scar every single time. And I just found it really interesting that even, even this week, like this even happened in Jezebel's family. That those scars went, uh, were, were made on Jezebel's family, and in particular her daughter. You don't have to turn there, but I'm just going to read um, some, some passages here. Second uh, Kings chapter 8, verse 16 uh, says this. There's going to be some names here. Let's not focus so much on the names. I'll tell you what we focus on here. In the fifth year of Joram, son of Ahab, king of Israel, <clears throat> when Jehoshaphat was king of Judah... Jehoram, son of Jehoshaphat, began his reign as king of Judah. So this guy, Jehoram, becomes king. He was 32 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem eight years. He followed the ways of the kings of Israel as the house of Ahab had done, for he married a daughter of Ahab. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. This guy married a daughter of Ahab. Ahab was the dad. Who was the mom? Jezebel. So this was Jezebel's daughter. And, and, and 2 Kings tells us that he did evil in the eyes of the Lord because he married a daughter of Ahab, also a daughter of, of Jezebel. And so Jezebel's influence Went, went on her daughter, and then her daughter began to pass that influence on to other people as well. And then it goes even further in Second Chronicles chapter 22, verse 3, uh, when Jehoram died, his son became king. His son became king. So this would be Jezebel's grandson that is now king. And it says, He too followed the ways of the house of Ahab, for his mother, Jezebel's daughter, encouraged him to act wickedly. So we have Jezebel's influence now being spread through the generations. That we see that her selfishness and how she used her influence and everything that she did was passed down to her daughter and her daughter passed that off to her husband. And then when her husband died, her daughter began to pass that off to to her son. And so we just see the influence being spread and spread and spread. And this is what happens when we use our influence selfishly. We mark people and we mark people and we mark people and we just leave harmful marks in our wake. That's exactly what happens. And this, seeing that, is what really got me thinking this week. Because the question I started asking myself is, what kind of marks am I leaving behind? You know, what kind of marks am I leaving on my family? What kind of marks am I leaving on the, on the, on the teenagers that I've worked with at Axis? What kind of marks am I leaving here at Grace Community with, with adults that I work with? What kind of marks am I leaving on my neighbors? What kind of marks am I leaving on people that I just randomly pass, you know, here at the church or at Walmart or wherever it may be? What kind of marks 
Am I leaving on the baristas that I see at Starbucks? What kind of marks am I leaving behind me? What kind of marks are you leaving behind you? If I'm only wanting, if my motives are just selfish motives, if I'm just trying to accomplish things in the lives of others simply so I can feel better about myself, that, that's selfish. And my selfish influence will always leave horrible marks. And so that is what really got me thinking this week. Of, and I don't think we're any different. I don't think any of us want to leave horrible marks. I don't think any of us want to leave bad marks on people. I mean, we're not antisocial people. We want, we want the best for the people in our family and for our husbands and our wives and the people we come in contact with. We, we don't want to scar them. We want to mark them for good. And so I was thinking that, that if, if selfishness, if selfishness is what leaves the, the scars, if it's what horribly marks people, then how can, how can we leave Jesus marks on people? How can, how can we leave great marks on people? And if selfishness is what leaves the bad marks, then selflessness is what will leave the Jesus marks. If selfishness will leave the bad marks, then selflessness will leave the Jesus marks. Because when you are marked by the selfless act of someone else, you are always marked for the good. When you are marked by the selfless act of another person, you are always going to be marked for the good. But what I want you to know is selflessness does not come naturally. It does not come naturally. If you are not fighting selfishness in your life, you are falling into it. Because we, our natural bent is always going to be towards selfishness. It, it, it just is. We are always going to bend towards selfishness. And if you're not fighting selfishness, you're just going to fall right into it because that's where we're bent. We are always bent towards selfishness. And so you cannot be unselfish by accident. You have to train yourself to be selfless. And you train yourself to be selfless by intentionally doing selfless things. I was uh, reminded of that at the Momentum Youth Conference that, that we were at. You saw the video that was, that was uh, you know, before the service and everything like that. It was an awesome, it's an incredible week to be there. Uh, Pastor Jeremy uh, led worship there. You'd have been so proud of him. He did awesome uh, that week. Pastor Jim spoke at one of the sessions. You'd have been so proud of Pastor Jim. Like, he did awesome at, at this conference. So it was just great to be a part of it. But I was reminded at, the, uh, at that conference how easily it is to fall into selfishness. Because uh, something happened at, at this conference. Um, uh, on the night that, that Jim spoke, uh, like, we, we wanted to, like, our, our kids, our, our youth ministry, we wanted, to, we wanted to get seats up front at this auditorium. There are 2,000 people that were there. So getting a seat is not an easy task. I mean, I've seen less fights break out on Black Friday than trying to get seats, you know, at this Christian conference. So anyway, um, so we're, uh, we're going, you know, we wanted to get these seats up front, and so we're, like, first in line, and, you know, they, they open the doors. So all of our kids are just ready to run down front and grab these seats and everything like that. So they open the doors, and there's this rush of people that runs down front, and I'm part of that group, and I get down there, and our kids get down there, and they get the first row, and then I jump into the second row, and then I look up, and as soon as I look up, I make eye contact with a girl from another group. And it's like this teenage girl. And I look at her, and she looks at me, and then we're like, who's going to get these seats here? You know, and so, so then we begin this, 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 this contest of power. Who is going to get these seats? And what makes it even more, more interesting is for our, for our group, for our kids, it was ugly hat night. So it wasn't, we, we do these silly things at this conference where we just dress up like every night. It's just stupid. So, uh, so it was not for anybody else that was there, just for us. So it was ugly hat night. So this is what I look like. There's me in the middle right there. So there's Aaron, there's Ryan, and then there's me in the middle with this ugly hat on, and so you just got to picture this. I am a 41-year-old grown man in this hat, and I'm racing down there, and I get to this seat, and then this girl who has never seen me before sees me in this hat arguing over these seats, and she's probably like, who let this guy out, man, you know, and so, so it's just this picture of just, just hilarity, you know, and so anyway, so I'm looking at her, and she's like, these seats are saved, and I'm like, no, they're not, they're saved, we, we, got, we got them, they're for our group, she's like, no, we need these seats for our group, and I'm like, no, I'm sorry, we need them for our group, she's like, no, our group needs every seat in this row, and I was like, well, our pastor speaking tonight, we just wanted to be here, and so we're going all 
on and on. Here I am, 41 years old, arguing with a 13-year-old girl over seats. And I'm like, something is just not right about this, this picture. And so, so I just felt myself getting so tense and so angry inside. And I'm like, who does this girl think she is? You know, I just wanted to, you know, just right in the eyes. And, 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 and so I, I, in the middle of that, in the midst of that, I just felt myself getting angry, and so I just, I, just, I just had the clarity of mind just to step back for a second. And so I stepped back, and then this girl's youth pastor comes behind me. He's like, is there a problem here? And I'm like, there's no problem. She just stole my seats. And, she's like, and he's like, well, uh, what can we do about that? And, and he's like, well, I'll tell you what I'll, what I'll do. I'll just ask her to move. And so it was at that moment that I made a decision. And at that moment, I, I just looked at the guy, and I was like, you know what? It's totally okay, because somebody has to be second here. And so I'm going to place myself second and just let her have the row. Um, It may sound like a silly thing, but inside of me, that fought every ounce of pride that I have. (laughs) Because here I am as a grown man with the authority to have taken these seats, um, losing this battle to a 13-year-old girl. But I lost it intentionally. Because I could have taken it, but I was like, somebody, somebody needs to go first. I'm going to let you go first. Those are selfless acts. And I, I don't always do that. Believe me, I'm not selfless all the time. By any means, this was just one time when I got it right. Um, but even something as silly as that is helping train me to be selfless. Because I'm not naturally selfless. I will always, always default to being selfish unless I do selfless things. And to be more selfless, we have to train ourselves to be selfless. And this is exactly what Jesus did. You can turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. It's in the New Testament. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 8. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 8. If you are not a follower of Jesus this morning, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, you're kind of off the hook with these verses. Um, I really believe with all of my heart that the principles are good principles and that if you are not a follower of Jesus, but if you live your life according to the principles that we're going to read right now, that your life will be better, that your relationships will be better because these principles are true. But you're kind of off the hook. You don't have to do it if you're not a follower of Jesus. If you're here this morning and you are a follower of Jesus... This is not an option for us. If you're here this morning and you are somebody that has aligned yourself with Jesus Christ, if you are somebody that has said, I am on the side of Jesus, here's the line, and I am standing on the line, I am lining myself up with Jesus Christ, these verses are not an option for you. These verses verses are not an option for me. This is what we are called to. We are called to life on the other side of selfishness. Starting at verse 3, it says, Do nothing. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. It's not that other people are better than you. It's not that they're more important than you. It's just that you treat them as they are. You treat people as if they are better than you. You value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, so in your relationship with your husband, in your relationship with your wife, in your relationship with your kids, in your relationship with your parents, in your relationships with with your coworkers, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He had the influence of God, but he didn't use it selfishly. He did not use it to his own advantage. What did he do? He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so here we see the most influential person who has ever lived, the the greatest person who has ever lived, the person who has left more marks for good 
than anybody else, the greatest, the most influential person that has ever walked on this planet, shows us exactly how our influence can leave a lasting impact. And it, it's when we use it selflessly. Why? Because a selfless act will always grab our attention. A selfless act will always grab our attention. And what grabs our attention can influence our direction. What grabs our attention can influence our direction. And a selfless act will always grab our attention because who's doing that? Who's living selflessly? When you see, like, people just aren't doing that these days. And so when you see people that do it, it stands out. And when you see people that do it, you're like, wow, that's something. And, and it grabs your attention. And whatever grabs our attention can help focus the direction of our, of our life. Because a, a selfless act can greatly grab our attention. It's natural to want to be selfish with our time. And so, but listen to this, dads. It's natural to want to be selfish with our time. But how about this? I know when you get home from work that you're tired. And I know when you get home from work that it's been a long day. And I know that when you get home from work, the easier thing for you to do is just to sit down in front of the TV, pop it on, or or go take a nap, or whatever you want to do. I know that that is the easier thing to do. But what's the selfless thing to do? When you suck it up and invest in your kids after a long day, even when you're tired and you pour into your kids, that selfless act will grab their attention and it will help influence the direction of their life. You will mark them for good. When you serve somebody else and allow them to be first and you intentionally place yourself second, that selfless act will grab the attention of others and it will influence the direction of their life. You will mark them for good. That's how you leave Jesus marks. Maybe you could even think of it this way. Imagine, imagine how different your life would be today if your dad would have been less selfish and more selfless. Imagine how different your life could be today. Imagine how different your life would be today if your mom would not have tried to push her own agenda on you, if she'd been less selfish and more selfless. Imagine how different your life could look. Imagine how different your marriage would be today if you choose to be less selfish and more selfless. And we're not talking about the other person, we're talking about you. Imagine how different things could be if you were less selfish and more selfless. Um, this, was, this was my Father's Day gift uh, this year. Um, I don't, uh, this is what I try to do in my life. Believe me, I do not get this right all the time. I am naturally selfish. I battle this all the time. But I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm trying. You know, I, I want to try, and I especially want to try with my family. I want to try with my kids. And so for Father's Day, my, my wife uh, just kind of made this little, little picture here. And, and so these are my kids. This is Ezra. This is Mercy. This is Torah. This is Judah right there. And so um, what she did is she just asked the question, why do you love Daddy? And uh, so this is what the kids uh, answered, and this is what my wife wrote on little signs and, and just uh, took a picture of this. But for Ezra, why do you love Dad? My dad is the best because he builds Legos with me. Um, I don't like to build Legos. <laughs> I don't. Um, I don't really like to, to sit in front of this pile of Legos for an hour or two hours just building stuff, and then you finally see it accomplished, and then what he wants to do is just rip it apart, you know, and I'm like, no, I just spent, you know. But, but you know what I want to do? I want to mark my son, and I want to leave a Jesus mark on him. So I'll build Legos. My daughter, Mercy, my dad is the best because he's so funny. Um, yeah, it's true. Uh, you know, that, <laughs> um, but, you know, she can say that, and the reason that she can say that is because we spend time together. And um, honestly, I don't always want to spend time with her. Honestly, there are times when I get home and, and I don't want to read a book and I don't want to sit down and play Barbies and I don't want to, I just want, I just want my own time, but, 
I want to mark my daughter because nobody will have more influence on my daughter than I will. And so I'll be funny with her. I'll spend time with her. My daughter, Torah, my dad is the best because he hugs and kisses me. And um, she is a great hugger. She is. If you ever get a hug from Torah, she throws her entire body into it. And, and, um, but I'll tell you what, she is uh, definitely a physical touch girl, and she just loves to be all over you and stuff like that. And if I can be honest, there are times I get home, and I don't want a kid on my lap. There are times I get home and I don't want a kid crawling on my back and I don't want to give a piggyback ride and I don't want to do this, but I want to mark my daughter because nobody will have more influence on her than I will. And so I'll hug her. I'll kiss her. My son Judah, he's only a year, so he couldn't really say anything. Um, (laughs) But my wife made this up. My dad is the best because he gave me these ridiculously good looks. And that's, yeah, that's true too. Um, So, (laughs) but... Um, I want to I mark them. And, and the way that I mark them is by, is by using my influence selflessly and pouring into their lives. And this, this goes, in, in my mind, the most important people I have to influence is my family first. But it goes even further than that for all of us. Because every single day, there are people around you every day that you can mark. There are people around you every single day that you can influence. There are people around you every single day, and you have the opportunity to use your influence selfishly and leave a scar or be selfless and leave Jesus marks. And Jesus marks are the things that change the world. That's how how the church became the hope of the world. Because there are people living their lives selflessly and saying, I am going to do exactly what Jesus did. And it's not easy and it hurts a lot of times and i got to set aside my pride and everything like that. But I am going to treat you better than I would treat myself. That gets noticed. That is what has made the church the hope of the world. We're not, I'm not promoting our church here uh, like, or anything like that or trying to toot our horn or anything like that. But we have a reputation in this community. And you know why we have a reputation? Because we try to be selfless as a church. And we try to help. And we try to do whatever we can to, to value people. Whatever we can to value people. Not because we want to be, oh, look at Grace Community, all that kind of stuff. But because selfless acts get noticed. And a selfless act can point somebody to Jesus Christ and allow them to come to a relationship with him. And so what, what are you doing to, to leave a Jesus mark on somebody's life? How are you going to leave here today and say, okay, th- I, there's this person and that person and this coworker and that neighbor and stuff like that. How can I leave a Jesus mark on them? Because you're going to mark them somehow. You have an influence on people. I hope that, that you leave here and say, if I'm going to mark somebody, I want it to be a Jesus mark. I want to live like Jesus lived so that people can come to know him. Will you pray with me? God, I pray for uh, everybody that's in this room. I pray that you will allow us, God, to leave here. And as hard as it is to be selfless, as easy as it is to be selfish, um, Jesus, I pray that we will do what you have called us to do, to live on that other side of selfishness and to mark people with your marks, with Jesus' marks. Allow us to do that, God, so that people can come to know you. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great day today, guys. We'll see you next week.